0: Sego and welcome to Resistance Radio. I am John Kane. I'm your host, flying solo uh, without Regan DeLoggins this week. I want to welcome our listeners in Washington, D.C. on WPFW to the program. I need to remind you, first off, that uh, we are listener-supported radio. We count on your donations for the station and to uh, acknowledge the programs that we deliver. So I ask that you please support WPFW and this program by making a donation. This station has a longstanding policy, a longstanding commitment to providing space for Native voices. And look, it is, it's, land acknowledgements are nice. Uh, I appreciate them. But land back acknowledgements, land back, land spaces, get, providing spaces is, is even Uh, is even better and you can you can support WPFW who has been providing a space for native voices and has been doing it for such a very long time and you you can start that immediately by making a donation to WPFW you can call 202-588-9739 or go online to WPFWFM.org and follow the prompt for making a donation. Uh, you can make a one-time donation. You can time a donation. You can make a regular donation. You know, by submitting your your credit card information or your checking account information, and do something on a monthly, a sustaining donation. Uh, whatever it takes. This is this is what is required for this station to to function. And look, I know. Times have been tough. This has been a crazy year, and, and some people have not recovered uh, to the disruption that COVID nineteen has caused. But some of you have done all right, and some of you have figured it out. And and frankly, some of you have done very well. If you have the resources to support a station like WPFW, I ask that you do it. And uh, I you know, look, I can't, I can't stress enough how important it is to have a station like WPFW that allows the diversity that the that station carries, and for me personally, allowing a, a space for Native voices to be heard. All right, so last week we uh, we, we talked about the uh, National Week of Action associated with missing and murdered Indigenous women, uh, girls, uh, LGBTQ, uh, Two-Spirit, and... Um, but we also mentioned a story that was coming out of New York where the New York City Department of Education had ended um, the acknowledgement of Columbus Day, the, the holiday that is the the second Monday of October, and basically declared that day to be Indigenous Peoples Day. And look, many of us were surprised. We, were, we didn't know that, uh, that the Department of uh, of Education in New York was going to do this but <laughs> I'll tell you the response was immediate and um, you know and and, and pretty incredible uh, by the quote-unquote Italian-american community there was all kinds of hate coming out of you know Bill de Blasio uh, uh, Andrew Cuomo you know anybody <laughs> frankly any and all, Italian Americans who uh, who are either part of the city government or the state government um, all weighed in, and there was outrage. There was outrage that something had been taken away from them. Now, look, I've talked about Christopher Columbus um, a lot. Uh, I, look, I've got a I've got a YouTube channel. I encourage you to go to it. It's called Let's Talk Native TV. I've got an, uh, a a pretty good um video done and it's called columbus in his own words and it basically is his account of the atrocities that he was committing it, it's the account of uh, of his contemporaries even some of his own men um so i i encourage you to i don't need to reiterate everything that's on the video i just go to youtube check out my youtube channel subscribe if you like uh let's talk native tv like i said columbus uh, in his own words it's it's you know, it's about my most popular video. It's not a viral sensation by any means, but it's uh, it's a pretty good education. Look, and I've got a couple other videos. I got a I've got a, a pretty compelling uh, video done about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Probably not what you expect to hear, um, but it's it's truth nonetheless, and it uh, and it criticizes um, the the liberal justice, the, the liberal darling of the Supreme Court. Um, in in a rulings related to uh, to Native issues, uh, I've got a good video um, on the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act. This video was actually used by a university in the in the Southwest to teach about um, the the uh, the Gaming Act and as it relates to uh, to Native casinos, and that kind of stuff. I also have um, a strong video that was done. Uh, about the mascot issue it's called we are not your mascot. So go to my YouTube channel it's uh, let's talk native TV. Um, and again I, I I really recommend you check out the the Columbus video that I have there. So anyway, I've talked I've talked a lot about Christopher Columbus and and the myth that that exists around him. And it's really kind of absurd that that this figure has been heroized the way he, he has done uh, the way he's been. And it's also Kind of absurd how Columbus has been turned into, you know, the patron saint of, uh, of all things Italian, especially since he wasn't really Italian. 1492, Italy was a peninsula. It wasn't a country. It, it didn't have a, you know, it didn't have a defined Italian culture that would be associated as a national um, culture. Columbus, Christopher Columbus, was from Genoa, which is not on the peninsula. It's it's farther into the, the mainland of uh, of Europe, and and it was not considered, you know, Italy. Um, Columbus spoke Portuguese and Spanish. I don't even know if you know if he spoke an Italian an Italian dialect or not. He sailed for Spain. He didn't sail for Rome you know, or the Vatican, he sailed for Spain. You know, of course, the, you know, he, he got a lot of endorsement out of, uh, out of the Vatican, but there's this confusion because of the relationship that Spain and some of the other, you know, the Catholic, all frankly, all the nations of, of Europe, um, and the relationship they had with uh, with Rome and, and the Vatican. But, but again, that's Rome and the Vatican. That's not Italy as a, as a country. So, you know, I've, I've talked about that, and but, but, you know, the way history has kind of played out you know, because every immigrant population uh, that that basically sought refuge in the United States, they went through their period of, of being you know, condemned as immigrants, loathed, whether they were you know, Jewish people or, or Irish people or Italians or, or Chinese or whomever. But, you know, as it would work out, European immigrants always were able to transform themselves from the, you know, the plague of immigration uh, to be reshaping themselves as, the, as part of the settler colonial uh, class of the United States. And, and Italians did that as well. One of the ways they did that was trying to prop up Christopher Columbus, especially in the United States, as a national hero, and then through association you know, lift themselves up as, as Italian-Americans. And, and frankly, it worked, although it's, it's completely inaccurate. I got to say again. Christopher Columbus never stepped foot in North America. I mean, it's arguable whether he ever actually reached any of the mainland uh, of the Western Hemisphere. The islands of the Caribbean, absolutely. But I'll tell you, he went to his grave believing that the lands that he uh, had reached were not a new continent. It was not a, 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 a new hemisphere. He believed wrongly. And 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 set his his sights on his mission in the first place, on on this belief that he could reach the easternmost islands of the uh, uh I'm I'm sorry the the westernmost no it would be the easternmost islands of the uh, uh of of the Indies of the of the East Indies that's what they called him. I mean he wasn't really you know necessarily trying to get to India he was trying to get to Indonesia he was trying to get to the the areas of the south of the South Pacific. Um, he would. He was hoping he could, you know, cut a shorter path to to India and some of those uh, those areas because this was a a largely a speculative commercial voyage. He was hoping to bring riches back. Um, so the reality is he was closer to even India, but certainly he was closer to the uh, to the islands of the East Indies as the Europeans called them. Um, while he was sitting in a Spanish port than he, at any other time during his voyage, he was actually getting farther away from his intended goal. The the more he sailed and had he not been so wrong about the size of the earth and, and, and reaching, you know, reaching the, the Indonesia, they all would have died. They all would have starved. They all would have died at sea because had there not been a landmass that was half the distance uh of his of his intended goal um he they all would have died so he was he was a poor sailor a poor navigator a, obviously he he sucked at math too and this is this is who gets elevated and when I say elevated to be clear Andrew Cuomo when asked uh, as more and more conversation was coming up about Christopher Columbus and the atrocities he was responsible for he dismissed all that He says, "Oh, you know, but that none of that stuff really matters because over time, Christopher Columbus has become uh, associated with Italian American heritage." Well, that's the same thing that that you know that the Confederate South says. They say, "Oh, it doesn't matter that Robert E. Lee was you know had committed these atrocities and treason and all that other stuff. It doesn't matter about all the, the the military bases that are named after you know treasonous." Uh, Confederate generals, because we're not really praising that. We're not really supporting slavery. We're, we're going to ignore all that, that stuff, and, and we're going to say that it's just about Southern pride. Well, because that's exactly what Cuomo's saying. Well, forget about the atrocities that, that Christopher Columbus, we're, we're celebrating him as a symbol of Italian-American heritage. That's again, it's the same thing as saying we're celebrating Confederate statues, not for the atrocities and not for the treason, but for 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 Southern pride. You know, and, and so when you hear this kind of conversation coming from Democrats who are quick and, and rightfully so uh, quick to uh, criticize some of this, you know, the racist, the racism of the South that, that is still so pervasive, you know, that obviously uh, Donald Trump fed into. It is, um, it, it, you know, it, it, that's fine. But then you become a hypocrite when you, when you say, okay, we're not going to put Confederate statues in the, in, the same, you know, in, in the same category as Columbus statues. Well, as luck would have it, in the wake of uh, the George, George Floyd murders and the Breonna Taylor murders and the rise of Black Lives Matter, Columbus statues did come down right alongside Confederate statues. So they, they are the same. And you know, and there's other analogies can, that can be made. But again, let me get back to what New York City did. So the New York City Department of Education ends Columbus Day and designates it as Indigenous People's Day. And like I said, then all hell break loose, bro- broke loose, broke and, loose and everybody weighed in. Every Italian American politician weighed in. Um, you know, for all intents and purpose, their um, their white fragility demanded, that their white privilege be reinstated by uh, somehow. And so what What was the solution? Well, the solution is, all right, you want to do away with Columbus Day? We're going to turn Columbus Day and the day that is associated with Columbus landing in the Caribbean, we're going to turn that into into Italian American Heritage, uh, Heritage Day and we'll share it with Indigenous Peoples Day. Well, here's the problem with that. I mean, in whose mind is it a? It doesn't make sense to mark the landing of Christopher Columbus, the date associated with the landing of Christopher Columbus in the Caribbean, uh, with Italian American Heritage Day, and and then and then like take over the day that was kind of moving towards a day that essentially reconciled the atrocities of, uh, of Christopher Columbus by, by designating it Indigenous People's Day. I'll tell you what that's equal to. Think about a holiday think about a date that is associated with with Hitler's rise to you know to power. and in an effort to to um, cancel that false narrative, cancel that culture, if you will. <laughs> The that day gets uh, you know gets struck from the calendar to uh, as far as acknowledging Hitler. Instead, it's 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 transformed into in the let's just say Holocaust Remembrance Day. I mean, because that would be a way of really sticking it to to Hitler, right? That you you you're not going to acknowledge his rise to power. You're going to acknowledge the atrocities and and the perseverance of of. You know, uh, not just Jewish Americans, but, but, you know, Jews in general for, for getting through and, and surviving, you know, th- though that, that terrible stain on, on history. But then you don't stop there. Then you say, but you know what? We'll split that day and we'll call it German Heritage Day as well. So a day that is acknowledged as a day that, you know, that could mark the rise of Hitler's power. First gets turned into you know something that is the antithesis of that Holocaust Remembrance Day, but then half of that's taken away, um, so you can. Uh, you know, and I'm not suggesting that that, that Germans want to celebrate um, Hitler. I'm not saying that. Not in the certainly not in the same way that Italian Americans want to celebrate Christ- Christopher Columbus. But just but just think about that. Look, I, I talked about um, white. Supremacy and and white privilege. Let me, or white privilege and white fragility. Let me explain this. White supremacy is false. It's a lie. There is no white supremacy. If, but, and if it were real, then you wouldn't need to have systemic racism to rig the game to provide white privilege. I mean, the fact that, you know, that the systems are rigged and that that systemic racism exists, you know, is almost an acknowledgement that white people aren't superior. And, and in fact, in order in order to, you know, to rig the game, you've got to change laws. You've got to convict more black people. You've got to you've got to redline neighborhoods. You've got to, you know, you, you've got to commit these atrocities. Hundred years of atrocities against Native people, against Black people, against um, brown immigrants—not European immigrants. I mean, European immigrants, yeah, they're going to be tra- uh, treated badly until they can transform themselves into the to the rest of the European settler colonial uh, class. But you rigged the system. Why? Because white white supremacy doesn't exist. If it did, white people—if white people were really superior—they wouldn't need the game rigged for them. And you see, the problem is, so you go from this notion of white supremacy to rigging the system towards white privilege. But as that starts to get exposed, especially in the climate of social justice and racial equity, and people start calling it out more and more, that white privilege turns into white fragility. This notion that it's all slipping away. And I'll tell you, white supremacists are dangerous. And white, uh, white privilege is, is unfair and unjust, and, it, and it's a travesty. But the most dangerous are those who are feeling fragile and scared and desperate. I mean, and that's what we're seeing. The whole era of Trumpism was not based on white supremacy and white privilege, no. I mean, look, white privilege is how he got elected, but why he got elected was because of white fragility. It was fear. Look, they ran a whole campaign on fear, and 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 of course this was all, you know, feeding back from the the notion of a black president and what a what a travesty that was to white people. You want to talk about something slipping away? You, the whole reason that Trump was elected was because it, because he was preceded by a black president. I mean that is classic white fragility. So when I see this kind of thing. When I see this kind of thing happening, where even as you try to make an adjustment and you try to, you know, perhaps fix some of the injustice, you know, especially as it relates to the false narrative of Christopher Columbus, and then that white backlash comes in, that clamoring, that fragility that clamors for the privilege and clamors against the idea of anything being stripped away. That's that's what we saw that's what we saw in new york and and look you, i even listened to, to bill de blasio stand up there and say you know look the the uh, the end result is it w- was really good but the way we got there was terrible he was still criticizing the, the notion that that though the powers that be in in the new york city department of education could acknowledge because of their knowledge of history how wrong it was for new york city especially to teach us the kids to celebrate Christopher Columbus. And, and then what? You, so you're going to turn it into Italian-American Heritage Day? Look, and look, the problem with using that day for ta- Italian-American heritage is you're still making that association between celebrating Italian culture in the United States and Christopher Columbus. If you feel compelled, and look, I'm going to tell you, I am more against Columbus Day than I am for indigenous people's day. And I mean, cause the whole notion of, of special holidays to, to acknowledge, I mean, it's like, all right, we checked the box. And you know, it's, it's kind of like this notion of, well, you don't need reparations. We gave you a holiday. You know, I, Mitch McConnell once, went, once was quoted as saying, well, why do black people need reparations? They had eight years of Obama. That's literally what he says, uh, you know, and I got the same, you know, sense when Deb Hallin got, uh, um, nominated and selected and approved for the Interior Department. is like, oh, Native people got what they wanted. Well, who said that's what we wanted? <laughs> we want land back. We want space. That's what we want. We want our sovereignty respected. We don't need our best and brightest you know, being co-opted into, into your political system. So th- that's, you know, again, this is the way white people view um, how to address um the injustices they think there's a short answer there's a, there's a short easy answer but don't take too much don't demand too much because then then the backlash happens i mean it's it is really it's really kind of incredible the the response that that new york the new york city department of education got and 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 look they were under a, a tremendous amount of pressure look i applaud their effort but in the end, they totally caved in. I mean, it, honestly, they might as well have done away with the whole Indigenous Peoples' Day. Because once, uh, look, the amount of Italian people in New York City compared to the amount of Native people in New York City, it's uh, not exactly a balanced scale. So they're still going to do their, their Columbus Day par- parades. They're still going to, and trust me, they're going to circle around the Columbus statues. Whether it's Columbus Circle or and, and there's probably three or four "quote unquote" Columbus circles in the five bor- boroughs. All uh, all is done done and said. And look, that's where it, Columbus will still still be the center of attention for their Italian American heritage day. Look, even a few places where they took Columbus statues down, like like in Buffalo. <laughs> They decide, okay, we're going to take the Columbus statue down, but we're going to put an Italian American um, heritage statue up—you know, Italian immigrant statue up instead. And uh, so, by completely connecting Columbus Day and 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 the image of Columbus to Italian American Heritage Day, doesn't solve the problem. And you know, look—if you are if you are going to give a day to Italian Am- Americans, if you—if that was what you thought was necessary. Then they should have given it a different day. I can appreciate transforming Columbus Day into Indigenous People's Day because it flips the narrative. Turning Columbus Day into Italian American Heritage Day doesn't flip the narrative. It can, cont- it can, cont- you know, it com- continues that false narrative, and that's problematic. Uh, you know, and so you know, I, this is. This is what those who make the noise about this stuff, again, de Blasio, you know, Cuomo, you know, a a couple of city council people that, that were raised hell, you know, state assemblymen. They they can't even see it. That's the thing about white privilege. When when you when racism becomes so systemic. That most people can't recognize it, they don't even notice it because it just, you know, it. They just benefit from it, and they don't think that it's a special benefit. I mean, look, I've had the argument with people say, well, I don't have any white privilege. I had to work hard. Yeah, you may have had to work hard, but you didn't have to work hard to overcome racism. You didn't have to overcome the color of your skin or the systemic racism. Yeah, we all have to work hard. Some of us do, not everybody. But working hard isn't the issue. It's when you have to work extra hard because of racism. That's the problem. That's the difference between white privilege. And because even no matter where you are on the, on the economic class scale, I mean, whether you're, you know, you know the one percenters, whether you're lucky enough to hang on to middle class or, or whether you're impoverished, there, there's still a certain amount of white privilege that is always going to benefit uh, white people. You know, you're 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 not gonna be judged by uh, you know by how black or Hispanic or Native your name sounds. I mean, <laughs> look, I remember when Facebook was canceling a bunch of Facebook um, uh, uh, profiles because because some Native names they they couldn't recognize and and their algorithm you know booted them. It took a long time to get to get some of this corrected. Look, and we have a ver- we have some names that are in our languages, which are very difficult for you know for white people. But then we have you know some you know names li- like Sitting Bull or Red Cloud. These these names that are you know th- that used English words you know uh, to replace the, the native language that may have been the origins of those names. Two rivers. There, there's another one. So. Um, Fast horse. I mean these these are these are fairly common native names, but when they show up on an, on an application, whether it's for Facebook or for a job, if that gets recognized, as, oh, it's one of these. That's systemic racism. And if you're white, if your name, you know, or if you have, even if you're not white, if you have a white sounding name, then at least that doesn't become an obstacle until you have to go into a to do an interview. So I, I just think it's important that people understand that dynamic between white supremacy, white privilege, and white fragility. Because what we're seeing now is, the, is what I think among the most dangerous aspects of that, that spectrum. Because people who are feeling vulnerable or threatened, and, and I guess threatened is a better word. Because when you think about vulnerability, you think about weakness. But when you think about th- somebody who's threatened, now you're thinking about the response to that threat. How do people respond to that threat? Well, sometimes they, re- they respond with violence, guns, um, hostility, um, and, or, you know, or to literally <laughs> circle their wagons. That's what, that's what we've experienced. That's, hell, that's what we experienced for, for four years. And we're not out of the woods yet, folks. Like I said, and racism, it's not a right thing. It's a white thing. You know, some of the again, Bill de Blasio, Cuomo, those are Democrats, folks. Half of those people on the city council who are raising hell or in state legislature, yeah, some of them are Republicans. But see, some this white privilege and white fragility, it's not just something that the that the white on the right, you know, experience. But we all the rest of us, we are affected by that. We're affected by their their fragility. And their privilege. Look, um, (laughs) the Department of Education in New York City tried to do a good thing. And what it turned into was a debacle. And what exists right now, is it an improvement over Columbus Day? I don't know. No, I mean, it really isn't because it it still is going to maintain a false narrative by connecting Italian-Americans to that date. And, you know, if I seem somehow ungrateful, well, it's because I I I witnessed the backlash and it was and it was pretty terrible. It was pretty terrible. Um, And 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 to be clear, Mario Cuomo or I'm sorry, (laughs) Andrew Cuomo um, is adamantly opposed to taking down any of the uh, the Christopher Columbus statues. And it should be noted that most of them are damn racist. You know, most of them have either you know, other reliefs on them, or, or, or added uh, um, uh, p- plaques, or, or or other parts of the sculpture that have Native people at the feet, literally, you know, on you know, groveling b- below the feet of um, of Christopher Columbus, the, the Columbus Circle or Square, whatever it's called in in uh, Syracuse. That statue is being re- removed. The statue down in in Buffalo has been removed, um, but Andrew Cuomo says, "Oh hell no! Oh hell no! You're not taking uh, Columbus down from Columbus Circle. We're not. We're not going to get rid of Columbus statues in New York City. And and if he has anything to say about any Columbus statues in in places like Albany, where he reigns supreme, um, it it just isn't going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Hey, let me um um." I mentioned my my YouTube channel and I I also want to mention that this show, uh, Resistance Radio, gets posted as a podcast. And, and if you search Resistance Radio with John and Regan on any of your podcast platforms, you can find this uh, this program. Um, I also do a podcast called Let's Talk Native. And if you search Let's Talk Native with John Kane, you'll find that podcast. And I do a couple of those a week. They're shorter. They're, they're a half hour. Um, but uh, they're, they're informative and they are opinionated. One thing I, I want to say about this show and uh, and my Let's Talk Native podcast. I'm not trying to win people over. I'm not trying to convince people to see things my way. What I'm trying to do is educate people so they know that this perspective exists Because that's the problem. I mean, sometimes we want to shove our ideology, our opinions, our perspective down down the throats of other people. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to make people aware that there is a native perspective. The beauty in doing some of the shows that, uh, that Regan and I do is we get to offer a perspective on issues that affect us all. That you may have never considered before. You may not, in fact, there may be things that you say and do. Because look, everybody's impacted by colonialism. Everybody has been indoctrinated to some of the the propaganda associated with the telling and the retelling and retelling and retelling of American history. To where we, we don't know. We don't know that Abraham Lincoln, the week before his Emancipation Proclamation becomes law, that 38 Dakotas, were hung by the neck on his orders in Mankato, Minnesota. See, I'm not taking away the Emancipation Proclamation. I'm just adding more to the story of of Abraham Lincoln. And because my perspective is not one that, that holds Abraham Lincoln as an emancipator. I hold him as an executioner. Now, am I wrong? Uh, or somebody who, who considers Abraham Lincoln and the emancipator wrong. No, they're not wrong. And I'm not wrong. It's about perspective, but you can't appreciate the perspective that, that Regan and I deliver. If you don't know any of the history, if you can't for a moment, remove your, the lens that you look through and look through ours, you'll, you'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know it. Uh, look on my YouTube channel, um, I mentioned a couple of the videos. Some of them are, some of these are short videos. They're, they're what I call short form videos. They may only be five, 10 minutes long. I also produce, uh, I also post up um, videos of my Let's Talk Native show as well. So, um, and sometimes those are more audio than uh, than video, but um, there's, there's a lot of content there. If you scroll down on my channel, again, it's Let's Talk Native TV on YouTube. Uh, you can get to those those short form videos. And um, and I encourage you to take a look, I encourage you to share them, and I encourage you to, to discuss them. And if you question them, if, if you think there's something wrong with the veracity of something that I've said, I appreciate being, uh, being pressed. Um, I don't want to be insulted, but if, but if you have a question about something that I've said, either on this show or in a video or in a podcast, um, I'd love to discuss it. Because, look, I can be corrected. If I if I misspeak, if I if I make an error, it, I mean, opinions are, you know, are flexible, but facts aren't. And, you know, I think it, I think it's worth noting to um, uh, to really raise the conversation um, based on the, the range, the full range of perspectives that can be held about, you know, simple things, simple things that we all experience, but we but we all may experience them differently. The fact that systemic racism exists is um, it's a different experience for, for, for different people. And and it shows itself in different ways. You know, look, I talk a lot about the mascot issue. Native people are the only people who experience this appropriation of our culture and our images and references for for school and, and sports mascots. I mean, we're the only ones. And I know people will bring up the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame or, uh, you know, sometimes they'll bring up things like Vikings. You well, know, Vikings don't exist anymore. And the the Fighting Irish mascot is a, is a leprechaun. Not real. It doesn't, doesn't really exist. But we as a people, as a culture, for, for one thing, we are not a monolith, but we get our culture um, condensed, altered, bastardized this this notion of a pan indian culture that you know that they can just throw one logo up and that can meet, that can represent indians in general or redskins or warriors we're the only people that experience that the closest thing to that has been blackface i mean you know look there was a, an entire entertainment industry built on blackface minstrel shows I mean, Al Jolson at one point, at one time, was the the number one performer in the United States performing in blackface. He utilized blackface to advance his career. And we still see today, politicians, Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada, um, I think the governor of the state of Virginia or something like that, one of these other, um, a bunch of these guys. It it'll all of a sudden it comes out of their closet. Oh yeah, there's pictures of them in, in blackface, and and they, and what do they do? They've got to backtrack. They've got to do damage control. They've got to apologize and and admit how wrong it was and that kind of stuff. Nobody's apologizing for redface. See, this is kind of the unique racism, and it is racism. But to to offer a different perspective on issues, there are things that 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 need to be addressed. Look, there are. There are trite expressions, you know, that get used. I mean, when, when people talk about bearing the hatchet or uh, or that, yeah, such and such sure went off the reservation on that one. These are the kinds of things that are derogatory, and they and if you if you back it up and and you think about these expressions, we may know what they have what these expressions have come to mean. But what we don't understand is it are the racist origins of these words. So I mean I, I think that's where perspective helps and look we aren't trying to you know to make a wholesale change on everything all at once. We're pecking away. I would love to 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 wave a magic wand and have racism disappear or or white privilege disappear and make it disappear without the backlash associated with white fragility. I'd love that to happen but you, you know what? And, and I say, I've, I've said this before in a meme. The only thing more racist than a, than a town of white folks calling their school mascot an, an, some sort of native name with a native imagery. The only thing more racist than that is the response from those people when we tell them it's wrong. The amount of hate and vitriol. I know people who've had their, their, their health and safety and lives threatened. For opposing uh, the mascots, I've there, I've had people suggest because I'm against schools appropriating our uh, you know, this race-based mascot, uh, this native-based mascot. Because I'm opposed to it, I've heard people say, wow, that uh, John Cain, he's a uh, he's just a radical liberal trying to advance a Marxist agenda." I don't think these people even understand what Marxism is, and and there's certainly no connection, regardless of where I stand politically on Marxism or anything else. I mean, the idea that opposing a mascot uh, earns that characterization, that's racist. I mean, it's just racist. So when I saw the response that came out of New York City last week, and, and frankly, the, the effectiveness of it, I, like I said, the, this, this school, the Department of Education in New York City, made a bold move, and then they got neutered. And, and they, they basically were reprimanded, and they had to back it way back. They had to dial it back so far that they might as well have kept it Columbus Day. And, and that's just sad. That's just sad. Look, I do want to remind people again that this is listener-supported radio. You aren't going to hear this kind of perspective or this kind of breakdown. of of the perspective anywhere else. I mean, it's only stations like WPFW that not just don't just provide the space, but the encouragement for diverse thought to be shared uh, in, in, in a city like Washington, DC for me to do this show in Washington is uh, particularly important because you know, a lot of the a lot of the people that we need to reach with our message are the ones who are, you know, basically wielding power in those in in, in those mighty halls of Washington. Now, I don't necessarily acknowledge um, even even citizenship of the United States. I don't acknowledge those politicians as mine. Not my president, you know, not my Supreme Court, not my governor, whatever. But I do I do have to acknowledge the reality of the impact that a Deb Haaland can have on native people, positive or negative. I do have to acknowledge the impact that 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 a president like Joe Biden could have positive or or negative. And I can't just sit back and assume because somebody got elected or somebody, uh, you know, has made a promise that that promise is going to be fulfilled. One of the biggest mistakes that that anybody could make is believing that their civic responsibility ends when they cast a ballot. Because if the person you want gets elected, and even if you don't vote, like myself, I don't vote. But if somebody like Deb Haaland gets put in, into the Interior Department as the secretary, that's not a win. It only becomes a win if we can make her do the things that she that the other secretaries haven't done. And she isn't going to do it on her own. We we have to press that issue. You know, there's been, there's been conversations that, that she's had that, that I've appreciated. But I got to tell you, Barack Obama issued an executive order and he said that any executive agency or department that uh, establishes a policy that impacts Native people, he ordered that that executive department or agency um, consult with native people. It didn't happen. Didn't happen for pipelines. Didn't happen for um, the, the Pact Act or, or, or you know C C T A or any of these these pieces of legislation that that hurt native people. There was no consult, uh, consultation. And I, I'll tell you nothing about consultation. The U N Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. It doesn't call for consultation. It calls for free prior and informed consent and it is a huge cop-out to say no well we're gonna stay away from that but we're gonna we'll, we'll agree to consult checking a box because you had some some native figureheads in in a room when you were you know putting the screws to native people that's not the same as free prior informed consent folks and it's not even really consultation it's like it's it's like giving the cheap seats. That's not being at that's not at the table if you're not allowed to speak. And and if you make the promise and then they'll fulfill it, and 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 we all sit back and say, Yeah, but he 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 said some good words. Well that's not that's just not enough. Obama also used to have this once a year in the run up to Christmas, used to do his his tribal summit. And millions of dollars were spent from across Indian country for people to go to Washington to get pictures in front of the, the Christmas tree. Maybe get a photo with, uh, with, with, with the president when he gave 15 minutes as a, uh, in a walkthrough. That's not a summit. That's not consultation. That's not even an audience. That's a photo op. So we can't sit back and say, okay, well, wow, we got Deb Hallen in there. For One thing, we didn't. Deb Hallin got elected into Congress by white people. Yeah, I'm sorry, but that's the truth. I'm not saying Native people didn't vote for her, but it was the white folks that got her, got her elected. And you know what? It wasn't Native people who nominated her for the Interior Department. It was a white guy, an old, wealthy white guy. Like so many old, wealthy white guys before him who uh, who sit in the White House. We didn't elect her, we didn't uh, nominate her, and we didn't approve her. But I'm not going to begrudge the fact that she's there, but I will begrudge it if nobody puts any demands on her. This is our task. Our task is not to navigate the systems of of oppression with as much grace and dignity as possible. It is to dismantle those systems. And I don't mind using people within the system to help dismantle it. But I'm not going to join that system to dismantle it from the other side. <laughs> Nobody ever said, let's join the evil empire and tear it down from the inside. Nobody ever said that. Yeah, and you've got to, we've got to confront this stuff head on. And, and I'll tell you what, if native people can stand with black people and with other brown people, you know, Hispanic, Latinx, whomever, if we stand together, on the issues that we can, and if we show enough respect for each other, we can accomplish some pretty big things. Look, I supported Black Lives Matter without any expectations other than the fact that it was right. So when Native people became the beneficiary of that movement in the wake of George Floyd and Columbus statues came down with with Confederate statues, I thought that was great. And when the Washington football team finally after decades of protests and fights and and letter writing and letters to the editor and statements from from all walks of native life when the washington football team finally was forced to retire its racial slur of a name that came in the wake of 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 the murder of george floyd that came because that came because of black lives matter Look, we've been raising hell about this thing, about that thing for 50 years. To to no avail. We we brought up, you know, we raised cases, you know, in uh, all the way to the Supreme Court over the idea of trademarking a racial slur. To no avail. But it was in the wake of the murder of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and the rise of Black Lives Matter that the Washington football team finally had to. they, They didn't want to. Look, Dan, Daniel Schneider, he dug his heels in. He said, "I'll never change the name, and you can print that in caps," is what he said. And he wasn't talking about Colin Kaepernick. He 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 was determined to never change that name. But lo and behold, the financial interests stepped up, and FedEx said, "You know what? We can't keep continue to turn you know turn a blind eye to the to this racial slur this this team is using. We got our name on the stadium." Nike, same thing. You know, look, we depend on racial diversity for our sales. We can't be supporting a, a team with a racial slur for a name. Amazon, Walmart, Target. They all put pressure and it was gone. And it was gone. But it wasn't because of our voices. Certainly not because of our voices alone. Look, we've been we've been raising hell at the football field every, you know, every year. Even when Washington would travel to other places, we would raise hell. But you know what? It finally changed. Why? Because voices came together. And those voices come together here on WPFW. It is on stations like this that you're going to hear diverse perspectives. You're going to hear diverse voices. You're going to hear color in in those voices. A range of color. Not all the same color. You're gonna hear the perspectives from from all different classes, all different ethnicities, and you're gonna hear it from oppressed people. And again, I could could not be more grateful to WPFW for giving not just me this space and Regan this space, but for having a commitment. To native voices on the airwaves in Washington D.C., where where it's needed and where it's impactful. Look, we can't travel to to Washington. Uh, we don't have the million dollar budgets. We don't have you know the 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 wealth behind the special interests that can lobby and and have all of these paid professionals carrying our message. So we need help. To me, what WPFW offers. In terms of space for for my voice and for Regan's voice, I'm not saying that you know the halls of Congress have WPFW tuned in, but you know what? If our voice is being heard in that city, some of those voices will get will get to them, and we couldn't be there if it wasn't for the you know again for the commitment that WPFW has has given to to native voices. So as I close out the the show. Let me again remind people that we are listener-supported radio and we need your support. And so I'm asking you to go to the pledge line, go to 202-588-9739 and make a pledge. And make a pledge in the name of Resistance Radio. And if you do so, um, it'll, it'll send a signal to WPFW Management that this is one of the programs that, that you tune into. It doesn't have to be the only program that you tune into. But one of the ways, one of the metrics that can be used for whether a program is effective in the market is uh, are the donations that, uh, that we bring in. And, you know, I'm not saying it's it's a fair metric, but it is a metric um, and perhaps not the only one. So I ask you as a, as a personal favor, not that the, the you know, donations come to me. But as a personal favor, I ask you not only to support WPFW, but you support WPFW in the name of Resistance Radio with John and Regan. So again, 202-588-9739. That's the number to call to make a donation. And that, that can be a timed donation. It can be a staggered donation. It can be delayed don- donation. You can give a, you know your credit card information and say, I, I want to make that pledge now, but don't take it out to the end of the month. You can you do something on a monthly basis. And look, I'm going to tell you right now, I know that there are lawyers and I know that there are lobbyists in Washington, D.C. Washington, that have made a lot of money off of native territories, whether it has to do with gaming, whether it has to do with inv- environmental concerns and that kind of stuff. I know that the legal profession and, the, you know, and, and again, the, the, the government professionals have made a lot of money off of native people. Give something back. You know, like I said, land acknowledgement is great. But land back acknowledgement, giving space and supporting those uh, entities that give space like WPFW. That's that's more effective yet. Again, two zero two five eight eight nine seven three nine. That's the number you can go online. You can go to WPFW dot org and you can follow the prompts there to make a donation in the name of resistance radio. Look, I got I got to make one caveat there they have had the show listed as the john kane show uh i haven't gone online lately so um if you don't see resistance radio look for my name john kane and when you want to make a donation in the name of the program so it'll show up there someplace so uh by all means uh do that uh you know what send an email drop a drop a note a comment to to management at wpfw let them know what you think of the show and 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 spread the word Spread the word about what this program delivers. And, and like I said, check out my videos, check out my podcast, share it, and let's have a conversation. I used to call, you know, my, my original show is Let's Talk Native. And what I used to say with that is let's talk native and then let's have the conversation. Let's spread the word. And when I say let's talk native, I don't mean let's talk, let's talk native anything you know culture language art and resistance radio is is taking taking the message a little farther you know i've heard it said that our existence is our resistance well it's not just our existence it's it's the voice that we we get to have with our existence if we don't speak out about our existence then it's not really resistance so it, it isn't just our existence is, is the resistance It's our our voices, it's our actions, it's our lives. We don't just exist. We live in in a very oppressive environment, whether we are Native people living in an urban environment, still clinging on to some semblance of our identity, or whether we are in a very impoverished Native territory, still clinging to that identity all the while fighting against appropriation of our names, our images, our lands, our resources. So having the opportunity to speak about all these things on WPFW is a tremendous opportunity. I'm grateful to the station, and I'm grateful to you, the listener. Please support WPFW and do it in the name of Resistance Radio with John and Regan. Thanks for listening. Yahweh.